This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com. You already made your friends in the masjid. Alhamdulillah. All right, so Tristan, are you ready? Alhamdulillah. After you take shahada, you're going to be taller than your mom. That's what happens, okay? Alhamdulillah. So I want you to repeat after me. All right, we're going to do it slowly. All right. Say ashhadu. Ashhadu. I bear witness. I bear witness that there is only one God. That I bear witness that there is only one God. And that Muhammad. And that Muhammad is his final messenger. Is his final messenger. Takbir. Congratulations. Can I give you a hug? Mashallah. Welcome to our community. Uh, Sister Kimberly, you just came in as well. We want to make a special dua for you both. May Allah bless you both. May Allah enter you into the highest levels of paradise. May Allah bring you closer together and to Allah always. May Allah surround you with his mercy and his tranquility and his pleasure. May Allah allow you to grow up to be an outstanding man that carries this religion forward, that pleases your mother and pleases your Lord, and that becomes the pride of our community. Ameen. Congratulations, Sister Kimberly. Congratulations, Tristan. MashaAllah. Takbir. Alhamdulillah. He's already got like 20 friends in the masjid, too. Walked right away from his mom. He said, I'm, I'm good now. Alhamdulillah. 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 <clears throat> what a befitting way to, to start a halaqa on Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu and continue from the great mother, Umm Sudaim, anha. May Allah make our sister Kimberly like Umm Sudaim and Tristan like Anas ibn Malik. Allahumma ameen. Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Last week we started off with the story of this mother that devoted herself to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that insisted on being present with every single step of the way from the moment of taking allegiance to the Prophet when a few companions met him, being one of the few women that was there, to being behind the Prophet in every one of his battles, to having her home right next to the home of the Prophet and having the Prophet treat her with such reverence and becoming one of the greatest women in our history. And SubhanAllah, we spoke about her son Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And there is no way that you can open a single book of tafsir, a single book of hadith, a single book of fiqh, a single book of any significance and not come across the name Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And it started with a devoted mother that brought her son forward and said, O Messenger of Allah, I am dedicating my son to you. Anas ibn Malik ibn Nadr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. His nicknames are few. The Prophet ﷺ called him Unais, which is Tasghir, which means little Anas, as a means of, uh, of, of showing his love for him. He's also Khadim Rasulullah. And he took great pride in that name, the servant of the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, who stayed by his side in every single moment of the biography of the seerah of the Prophet. From the day he entered into Medina to the day that he died, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he's also the one that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would call Bunay, my son, O oh my son, 
If the Prophet ﷺ said, Ya Bunay, O my son, in a gathering, they knew that he was addressing Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He's also Dhal Udhunayn, the one with two ears. And you're like, what does that even mean? The Prophet ﷺ would mess with him at times, and obviously jokes don't translate well across culture, across language and history, but he said, Ya Dhal Udhunayn. He held his two ears one time and he said, O you with two ears, which might mean he had big ears, or the Prophet ﷺ was just trying to comfort him or show him some love on that day, and it became a beloved nickname of his, Yadal Udunayn, the one with two ears. Also, the Prophet ﷺ called him Aba Hamza. When he was a young boy, he started to call him Abu Hamza, giving him the kunya of Abu Hamza. So he is a person that we know will be close to the Prophet ﷺ, and as we said, it started off with one moment that would change the trajectory of his entire life. His mother, Umm Sulaim, radiallahu ta'ala anha, coming to the Prophet ﷺ with her 10-year-old son and saying, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, لم يبقى رجل ولا امرأة من الأنصار إلا وقد أتحفك بتحفة O Messenger of Allah, there is not a single man or woman from amongst the Ansar except that they have given you some sort of gift. وَإِنِّي لَا أَقْدِرُ عَلَى مَا أُتْحِفُكَ بِهِ And I don't have anything to give you, O Messenger of Allah, إِلَّا إِبْنِ هَذَا except for the son of mine. فَخُذْهُ فَلْيَخْدُمْكَ مَا بَدَى لَكَ Please take him, O Messenger of Allah, take my son and he will serve you for as long as you want. And she said, and O Messenger of Allah, ud'u lahu, make dua for him. Please make a prayer for him. Please make a prayer for him. And the Prophet said, Allahumma akthir malahu wa waladahu wa athil umurahu wa dhambahu. This is one narration where the Prophet said, O Allah, increase him in wealth. O Allah, increase him in offspring. O oh Allah, give him a long life, and O oh Allah, forgive his sins. That's as comprehensive of a du'a as they come. Anas became one of the richest companions. As we'll see, supernatural things would happen to his gardens throughout his entire life, and it would produce fruit in ways that no one else would be able to produce fruit from his bustan, from his gardens. He became a man who in his own lifetime lived to see over a hundred descendants said that he could count up to 200 descendants by the time he passed away. He was the longest living companion of the Prophet from the major companions, from the well-known companions. He lived to be over 100 years old, and he said, and I'm waiting for the last one, that Allah forgive my sins. I hope for that in the hereafter as well. So the Prophet comes to Medina, and Umm Sulaim being again a maternal aunt of the Prophet as well, through, uh, through nursing, Umm Sulaim has a home that is right next to the hujurat of the Prophet And as Anas anhu says, the Prophet did not used to enter a home the way that he would enter the home of Umm Sulaim and Abu Talha, his stepfather, and he would stay there many times He would pray in that house, he would host in that house, then he would be a guest in that house, he would care for the orphans in that house, and he was always coming around. Anas would wake up in the morning, go straight to the door of the Prophet and let's start our day. His entire next 10 years is going to revolve around the Messenger And some of the scholars say one of the reasons why the Prophet made that dua for him, for Allah to increase him in things of this world as well as the hereafter is that a person might think that if I'm gifting my son this way to the service of the deen, you know, what opportunities, opportunities is he missing out on? And the answer is absolutely nothing. He's not missing out on anything. He has the greatest opportunity of all. For 10 years afterwards, 
every single day of his started off with being at the side of the Prophet and ended with him leaving the Prophet in his home. Every single day he comes out of his, out of his door, he's right at the door of the Messenger and he's ready to serve him and to be with him. If you want to know the greatness of a man, you look at the testimony of those that are closest to him. If you want to know the greatness of a woman, you look at the testimony of those that are closest to her. If there was anyone that would have been susceptible to exploitation and harm, it would have been Anas right? Because he's an orphan, technically his father passed away, and his mother said, he's here to serve you. Anas says, I have never seen a man who had more beautiful character than the Messenger of Allah I served him for 10 years. He said, he never hit me. He never cursed me. He never said any bad words to me. He said, he never even frowned in my face. SubhanAllah. He never even frowned in my face. He never even gave me a look of dissatisfaction or disapproval. And there's the most famous story of Anas He says, by Allah, he had the best akhlaq of people. He had the best character of people. And he said, there was this one time he sent me on an errand. He asked me to go do something for him. And this is the most famous narration of Anas He said, and while I was on my way, there were some other kids there. So I started playing with some other kids. So on the way to, to carry out the errand of the Prophet just like other little kids, I got distracted. Allah knows what they were playing with. Back then, they didn't have Nintendo Switch or anything like that. They had pigeons. They would play with pigeons. All right? But the point is that I was running around with a bunch of kids. I was playing and I forgot to go do what the Prophet asked me to do. So he said, then suddenly, the Prophet I saw him come and sit you know, just start watching me. And I was like, uh-oh. But he said, I looked at him, and he was laughing, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he said, Ya Unais, little Anas, did you go to where I asked you to go? I said, yes, I'm on my way, O Messenger of Allah. See, he didn't say no. See, kids are kids, right? He didn't say no, I didn't do it, Ya Rasulullah. He said, yeah, I'm still going. You know, I'm on my way. Just got, you know, paused for a bit of a detour here uh, to play with the kids. That was the one time that he said that the Prophet ﷺ, that was his way of admonishing me after what I had done. It makes it very hard for us parents, right? Every time you read that narration, you're like, patience, 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 patience. This isn't even his own son. Look how he's treating him. And Anas in another narration, he says, I served him for 10 years. Ten years, I never heard him say, why did you do this or that, or why didn't you do this or that? He never admonished me, he was never harsh with me, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now Anas his entire uh, you know, his narrations about the Prophet all sort of surround this, this similar theme. He didn't participate in the Battle of Badr. Why? What's the common sense answer? He was too young. Too young to participate in the Battle of Badr. Too young to participate in Uhud. He actually narrates, as we said, about his famous uncle, Anas ibn Nadr, uh, after whom he was named uh, in the Battle of Uhud. But he himself, 
was unable to participate because of his age, but he did participate in Bay'atul Ridwan, in the pledge of the companions under the tree that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that he is pleased with those who took their pledge with the Messenger So he never got to participate in any battle in any significant way in the presence of the Prophet His incidents with the Prophet all revolve being with him and giving us an up-close view of the Messenger And as you go through these narrations, you start to realize how much would be missing it's sort of like when you think about Aisha radiallahu anha in the house. Anas radiallahu anhu from the moment that he left the house sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the visits of the Prophet sallallahu the journeys of the Prophet sallallahu all of those things primarily are narrated by Anas. So the house life of the Prophet sallallahu is primarily narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha. The social life of the Prophet sallallahu is primarily narrated by Anas radiallahu anhu because he's the only person who is with the Prophet sallallahu every single day for those 10 years in Medina, SubhanAllah. So if you open up the book of Shama'il, the description of the Prophet and you read through the narrations of the physical description of the Prophet his height, his hair, his eyebrows, his teeth, his eyes, all of that, you find not numerous narrations from Anas anhu. Anas anhu saying even the day that he died, I counted 17 gray hairs in total, in the hair and beard of the Prophet So that's the detail that he narrates to us about what he saw of Muhammad being in his companionship. But then the character comes, and all of those ahadith about his character. So where do we see these narrations? One, we start to see the narrations of how the Prophet treated his family. And Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu qal, ma ra'aytu ahadan kana arhama bil he said, I never saw anyone that treats his children the way the Prophet treats his children. Never saw anyone that merciful. So it wasn't just me that he was like this with. It was the iyal, it was the dependence of the Prophet It was the people in his household. He had such rahmah, such mercy with them, such kindness with them, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he is the one who narrates the moment that Ibrahim, the last son of the Prophet ﷺ, passed away. That touching narration of the Messenger ﷺ holding his son Ibrahim, who was a baby and died in his hands, and the tears of the Prophet ﷺ falling on the body of Ibrahim, and the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, the supplication of the Messenger ﷺ, when he lost his son, we are grieving, O Ibrahim, over your death. Anas was with the Prophet when he got the news. Anas walked with the Prophet to the house where Ibrahim was being held. And Anas is the one who says, we entered upon Ibrahim. And I watched the Prophet hold his son and bid him farewell. That's how close this is, uh, you know, these narrations get the famous narration of the Prophet seeing a woman in the graveyard that was crying over the loss of her loved one, presumably her son. And the Prophet tells her to be patient. Anas says, we were walking. You see, when you start to read these narrations, I and the Prophet we were walking. And we came across this woman in the graveyard that was crying. And the Messenger told her to be patient over her loss. And the famous hadith, innama sabr in the Sadmatul Ula, that verily patience is at its first strike. Anas who narrates how the Prophet was with the orphans in his own home, 
And Anas used to go with the Prophet in all of his visits to the houses of the Ansar. And he says, Kana Rasulullah Yazurul Ansar. He said the Prophet used to go and visit the Ansar every day. He used to have a share of his day dedicated وسلم, to visiting the homes of his companions. He said, the Prophet would always, when he walked into a home, he would start talking to the children. He'd give salam to the children. You know, you think about the impact of that, the most important man in society, and every time he walks into a house, he says, where are the kids at? And the kids come running to the Prophet And the Prophet jokes with them. The Prophet used to joke with the brother of Anas, as we said, about his pet bird. He'd ask him, Ya Aba Umair, ma fa'la nughair, where's your pet bird? Tell me what he's up to these days. And consoling him when he lost his pet bird. So he's saying, I used to see the Prophet and he'd say salam to the kids. He'd sit with them. He'd joke with them. He would caress their heads, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he would make dua for them, alayhi salatu wasalam, the way that he made dua for Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He is the one who narrates the narration of the Jewish neighbor of the Prophet whose son was passing away. And the Prophet used to treat this Jewish neighbor so well that when his son was passing away, Anas is the one who the Prophet said, let's go visit when his son was passing away. And the Prophet as he's consoling that young Jewish child, and he says to him, say, la ilaha illallah. And the Jewish child looks to his father and he says, Listen to Abul Qasim. Say La ilaha illallah. He narrates that. He was with the Prophet in those moments, visiting that, that man and his child and the Prophet coming out beaming with joy, so happy of what had just transpired. And he also narrates another incident of, again, one of the Jewish children of Medina that brought the Prophet a glass of water and the Prophet praying for that child. So he narrates all of these situations with the children, the Muslims and the non-Muslims, in his own house and outside of his, out, of his house. He narrates the incidents of the Prophet with those who would come and ask for sadaqah, for charity. So most of the narrations about Baytul Mal, about the treasury, about people coming and asking for this and asking for that, go through Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. <clears throat> he says, كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم رحيماً وَكَانَ لَا يَأْتِيهِ أَحَدٌ إِلَّا وَعَدَهُ وَأَنْجَزَ لَهُ He said that the Prophet was so rahim, so compassionate. And he said that there is no one that would come to him except that the Prophet would make that person a promise. وَعَدَ لَهُ وَأَنْجَزَ لَهُ And he'd find a way, if he could, to do something for him. And he said that there was one time, SubhanAllah, this is a narration of Adab al-Mufrad. He said the iqama was made. And this man came and walked up to the Prophet ﷺ while the iqamah was made and he grabbed the shirt of the Prophet ﷺ. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, help me, help me, help me. And Anas said he was so loud and so abrasive that the wives of the Prophet ﷺ were scared. And he said the Prophet ﷺ left the musalla with Anas fulfilled his need, came back and he prayed ﷺ. He led the people in prayer front row seat to greatness, the greatness of the Prophet Another narration in Al-Bukhari, he said, I was walking with the Prophet and he was wearing a Najrani cloak with a thick border. And he said, an Arabi man came to him, a Bedouin came to him. 
and he started to pull the cloak from his neck, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he said, Ya Muhammad, murli min malillah ladhi indak. Oh Muhammad, give me from the money that Allah gave you, meaning the charity, the treasury. And he said that he left marks on the neck of the Prophet sallallahu pulling away at his garment. And sallallahu anhu is like, what do I do? He said about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, فَالْتَفَتَ إِلَيْهِ فَضَحِكَ the Prophet smiled, he laughed, and the Prophet sent Anas to go and give him some charity from Baytul Mal, from the treasury. He says, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ أَحْسَنَ النَّاسِ خُلُقًا What a human being. He said he was the person who had the best character. I have never seen a man like the Messenger You can imagine, you hear these words. You hear these narrations and I've only scratched the surface. And you fall in love with the Prophet Imagine being the narrator. There are over 2,000 ahadith like this. Of Anas saying, I saw the Prophet do this. I saw the Prophet do that. I was with him when this happened. I was with him with that, when that happened. And there is nothing that you read from Anas that goes, whoa, that's a little harsh or that's, no, no. Every single hadith of Anas makes you love him more So imagine Anas how he's falling in love with the Prophet every day of his life. What joy is it to be with the Prophet every single day? He also narrates the miracles that he witnessed from the Prophet. He used to witness miracles from him. One of them we spoke about last week in the house of Umm Sulaiman Abu Talha when the Prophet put his hands on the food and it increased and increased and increased and increased the food until they said that it lasted them for months after. It fed tens and tens of people that were coming into the house of his mother. And then it lasted for months after. So he, he witnessed the miracle of the Prophet being able to take a, a certain quantity of food and increase it. And he said, and I remember I was with the Prophet on Friday and he was delivering the khutbah. And a man stood up in the khutbah and said, Ya Rasulullah, there's no rain. Call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send down upon us rain. And he said, and I saw the Prophet look up to the sky and there was not a single cloud in the sky. And the Prophet lifted his hands up and he started to pray and the clouds started to gather together instantly. And it rained on us until Medina started to flood. So he said, that the next Friday, Medina was flooded and the Prophet ascended the minbar. And I was sitting in front of the Prophet and a man stood up and he said, Ya Rasulullah, we're drowning here. Ask Allah to hold the rain, it's too much rain. The rain keeps coming down on us. And the Prophet he said, I saw him raise his hands and say, Allahumma hawalayna wa la alayna. Oh Allah, around us, not upon us. Meaning let it rain around us but not upon us, subhanAllah. And he said that when that happened, the clouds disappeared from the sky and it became sunny and the rain dried up, but the benefit to the crops had settled. And Anas has got this front row seat sitting in front of the Prophet when he's on the minbar, giving khutbah and witnessing these miracles. Anas learned how to make dua from the Prophet When the Prophet would teach Anas Tell him to hold up his hands. And he said, Ya Anas, Ya Unais. He said, constantly say, Ya Dhal Jalali Wal Ikram. Ya Dhal Jalali Wal Ikram. Ya Dhal Jalali Wal Ikram. 
O possessor of majesty and nobility, O possessor of majesty and nobility. He said, constantly add this into your dua. So Anas said, I learned from the Prophet when I'm making dua to say, Ya Dal Jalali wal Ikram, Ya Dal Jalali wal Ikram. He narrates the night dhikr of the Prophet the night remembrances of the Messenger And he said the Prophet used to give him all of these nasa'ih, all of these advices about how to treat people. So it wasn't just an example that you witnessed where you just came away with, what an amazing man. But he would teach you the science of being great. So he said that the Prophet said to me, Blessed is he who is occupied with his own faults over the faults of other people. Don't obsess with the flaws of others. Don't sit there and look into the flaws of others, O Anas. And one of the most beautiful advices, subhanAllah, I gave a khutbah about this last year. Anas ibn Malik anhu said, the Prophet said to me, قَالَ لِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ يَا بُنَيْ Messenger of Allah said to me, O my son, إِنْ قَدَرْتَ أَنْ تُسْبِحَ وَتُمْسِي لَيْسَ فِي قَلْبِكَ غِشٌ لِأَحَدٌ فَافْعَلْ O my son, if you can go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning and not have any hatred in your heart towards anyone, not have any spite, any malice in your heart towards anyone, he said, then do so. يَا بُنَيْ O my son, وَذَلِكَ مِنْ سُنَّتِي You talk about the sunnah of the Prophet that is my sunnah. That's my sunnah. The sunnah is not just external appearance. The sunnah is internal refinements. That is my sunnah. And whoever gives life to my way loves me. You want to love me, O Anas? You want to love me, O follower of the Prophet? Then you have to try to be like me. And that's the hard part. Every night when you go to sleep, you remove that spite and that malice from your heart. So he says, And whoever loves me will be with me in Jannah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst his companions in Jannah. Allahumma ameen. So you have the hadiths about you know, social life, the hadiths about family life, the hadiths about how to treat people, the, the, the example of the Prophet Hadiths where the Prophet is visiting the sick and the dying. Hadiths where the Prophet is hosting or being a guest. And then you have Anas trying to live what he was witnessing. And the most important thing that you could take from the Prophet the most important sunnah was his worship. Was his worship. The way he used to worship. And one of the most beautiful things about Anas is that what the companions praised about Anas was that they said, if you want to see the prayer of the Prophet look at the prayer of Anas You want to see a man whose prayer resembles the prayer, the salah of our Messenger Look at the prayer of Anas Abu Huraira says, ما رأيت أحداً أشبه صلاةً برسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Anas Abu Huraira says, I have not met a single person whose prayer resembled the prayer of the Prophet the way that the prayer of Anas resembled the prayer of the Messenger Never seen anyone or anything that is like it. Was he just talking about where Anas placed his hands, the way he raised his hands, how he put them on his knees or how he was in his prostration? 
Or is he talking about something deeper? Something deeper. Anas anhu, as Ibn Sirin narrates, he says, Anas anhu, used to pray at night until his feet would swell. Who did he learn that from? He learned that from the Messenger And they said Anas's recitation was perfect. It, was, it matched the recitation of the Prophet When you prayed behind him, it was like you were praying behind the Prophet He had the perfect tune, the perfect amount that he would read. His ruku' was just as long. His sujood was just as long. How many times was he praying next to the Prophet In residence and in journey. And he lived that. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he lived that example in his own life from the Messenger. Say, if you love Allah, you follow me, and Allah will love you back. This is Anas following the Messenger in every way. And Anas would follow him not just in those ways, in the ways of worship and learning character. And as we'll see, Anas was, was known for his rahmah for his, his ability to hold himself back when being insulted, which unfortunately he would be insulted later on in life and he would struggle in the times of fitna. He had a great character, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he imitated the Prophet worship. He imitated the Messenger and his character. And he even used to see what the Prophet used to eat and drink and he tried to imitate the Prophet in his eating and drinking. He says, I remember one time we went to the house of one of the Ansar and the Ansari man brought forth some soup and he had pumpkin seeds in it, okay? Adubba, all right? Pumpkin seeds. And he said, I noticed that the Prophet really liked pumpkin seeds. And he says, فَلَمْ أَزَلْ أُحِبُّ مِنْ يَوْمَئِذٍ He said, from that day, I never stopped loving pumpkin seeds. Now, here's the thing, this is where we get this whole thing about like, all right, if I don't like pumpkin seeds, do I not love the sunnah? Like, or am, I, am I sinful because I don't like some of the food of the Prophet No, the answer is absolutely not. But this shows you obviously that love. You know, when you talk about, subhanAllah, someone who makes an impression on someone else with their character. Talk about a child that wants to be like their parents because of the goodness of their parents. And they start to try to imitate their parents <clears throat> in every way. Anas wants to imitate the Prophet in every single way. <clears throat> now some of the most beautiful narrations in this context as well are narrations where Anas is already thinking, what do I do when he dies? Or I die? <clears throat> I mean 10 to 20, his entire life surrounds the Prophet like what do I do? How do I get to be with him after this time that we have in this life? So in one narration, if you watch the Judgment Day series, here's some context to the narration. He said, say, he said to the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, I'm your khadim, I'm your khawaydim, I'm your small servant. Ishfa'li, intercede for me, O Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet said, I'll do so. Meaning on the day of judgment, Ya Rasulullah, can you intercede for me? He said, I'll do so. The Prophet said, I've got you. I will intercede for you on the day of judgment. Anas <clears throat> look how innocent, how beautiful the question is. He said, well, where do I find you? <laughs> you know, you got to think about his mindset. Every day, I go and I stand post. I'm right in front of the door of the Prophet From the moment he comes out, I'm with him. I know where to go with him. I know where to find him. I can be with him at every single moment. 
So he says, Ya Rasulullah, where do I find you on the Day of Judgment? And you might remember from the series, the Prophet says, find me at the Sirat. Anas said, what if I don't find you at the Sirat? He said, then find me at the Mizan, find me at the scales. He said, and what if I don't find you at the scales? He said, find me at the Hawd, find me at the river. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to drink from the fountain, the Hawd of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma ameen. And the Prophet said, I will not be missed in these three places. Ya Anas, you will find me in one of these places on the Day of Judgment, and I will intercede for you. You don't have to worry, I will intercede for you. And he is the one who narrates the incident where a man says to the Prophet وسلم, uh, you know, that I have not prepared anything for the Day of Judgment except for my love for you. And he mentions in one narration, my love for you, my love for Abu Bakr, my love for Umar. The Prophet وسلم, told him that you will be with those whom you love. Anas was witnessing this and Anas said, I felt so good. I mean, I was put at such ease when the Prophet said that because I said to myself, I love the Prophet and I love Abu Bakr and I love Umar. So I'm good. I have prepared myself for that day of meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and hoping to be with the Prophet And of course, you can imagine, subhanAllah, like with any of these companions, the day of the death of the Prophet hits all of them in different ways. But with Anas it's similar to the sentiments that are expressed by Bilal And if you remember with Bilal Bilal was in such pain at the death of the Prophet he couldn't even be in Medina anymore. Because everywhere he looked, he remembered the Prophet And he was always with the Prophet as well. Bilal We don't have the narrations from Bilal. Bilal died early. He didn't live as long as Anas and he separated himself. He left in Medina early because he couldn't be there in that place because he always remembered the Prophet This is going to be very hard for Anas who was Khadim Rasulullah who was a servant of the Prophet And so one of the most difficult narrations is that narration of the last smile of the Prophet Imagine for 10 years, every single day, you get to see the Prophet and be with the Prophet I want you to think about that and just try to fathom it for a moment. Every single day, my constant, that I get to go out in the morning, and the first thing I see is the smile of the Prophet in my face, and I get to be with him alayhi salatu wassalam. Sounds like Jannah. May Allah make that our fate in Jannah. Allahumma ameen. So he's the one who narrates the, the, the last day of the Prophet from the outside. You have the narration from the inside, from Aisha radiallahu anha, from inside the home, and you have the narration from Anas radiallahu anhu from outside the home. From Anas, you get the community view. From Aisha, you get the internal view, inside the home. And Anas says that it was a Monday. <clears throat> and he said Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was leading the prayer. And he said that as we were standing behind Abu Bakr kashafa al-Hujra. The Prophet suddenly moved his curtain. Think of one of these windows 
and the Prophet ﷺ, his hujra, his home had a, a view of the masjid. So the Prophet ﷺ moved the curtain. Yanduru ilayna. And he started to stare at us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he says, Wahua qa'imun. He said the Prophet ﷺ stood up with whatever strength he had left. Now remember, in the last days of the illness of the Prophet, ﷺ, it was very hard to stand up. I mean, you, he, he had to be on the shoulders of people. But it's like he's standing up Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and imagine being in the masjid and praying and the Prophet Sallallahu is looking through the window and the Prophet Sallallahu stands up and starts to look at them. And he says, فَتَبَسَّمَ يَضْحَكَ Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He smiled and he laughed. His face was so bright, it looked like the page of a mushaf. So we're seeing his face looking at us, and of all the smiles of the Prophet, that was the most beautiful one. Those last moments, smiling and laughing, and his face is radiating. It's as bright as the page of a mushaf, radiating, looking at us. Prophet proud of his ummah, proud of the Muslims, praying, lined up, even though he's sick, still continuing forward. Like a father who's bidding farewell to his children, that they're going to continue. They're going to keep this going. I worked my whole life to see this, this day. So Anas said that while the Prophet is looking at us, Hamamna an naftatina. It was a fitna for us. Like we were tested because we started to, you know, we started to get excited at the pleasure of seeing the Prophet. So suddenly our heads were looking at him, our faces turned towards him in salah. And you can think about how human this is and, and, and what's happening to their hearts in this moment. That they're looking, they're all slowly starting to look towards him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to try to catch a glimpse of his smile sallallahu alayhi wa sallam فَنَكَصَ أَبُو بَكْرٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَنْهُ عَلَىٰ عَقِبَيْهِ لِيَصِلَ الصَّفْ So Abu Bakr رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَنْهُ He moved back from the Imam position to stand in the first row to leave the, first, to leave the Imam spot empty hoping the Prophet ﷺ would come out because he's standing up and he's looking at us through the window we're hoping that he will come out <coughs> And that he will lead us in prayer. فَأَشَارَ إِلَيْنَا النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَنْ أَتِمُّوا صَلَاتَكُمْ The Prophet ﷺ, he signaled to us to finish your prayer. And he said, he closed the curtain. And he said, that was the last time I saw the Prophet ﷺ. SubhanAllah. Think about that. His journey begins with this joy of the Prophet coming to us and, this, and his mom putting him forward and saying, Ya Rasulullah, please take my son. And Anas not knowing who this man, or not knowing too much about the Prophet or what it was going to be like for these 10 years. And the last time he's in Salah and he's looking, staring at the Prophet and he sees that final smile of the Prophet one more time. And he said, and that was the last time we saw him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The last time we saw him alive.
Jibreel came to the room of the Prophet and he took his soul. And Anas he has a pretty unique vantage point here because he's family. He's family. And so he's also going to participate in the burial of the Prophet along with the Prophet's actual relatives. So Anas saw the Prophet every day of his life for 10 years and then saw the Prophet in that last smile. Now Anas has to be a part of the burial of the Messenger <clears throat> And he says, this is how he describes it. He says, the day that the Prophet entered into Medina, everything in Medina lit up. It's like a light came into Medina. It's like the lights turned on in this place. And SubhanAllah, you go to Medina now and you still feel the light. You still feel that tranquility. You still feel that effect. But he says, he said, the day that the Prophet passed away, it was like someone shut the lights off in Medina. SubhanAllah, it was like the nur came into the city, the light came into the city. And then the day he passed away, وسلم, it was like the lights all turned off. And Anas said, I went into the grave of the Prophet. And he says, وَمَا نَفَضْنَا عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ الْأَيْدِ وَإِنَّا لَفِي دَفْنِهِ حَتَّى أَنْكَرْنَا قُلُوبَنَا He said, when we got in the grave with the Prophet he said, we did not remove our hands from him except that our hearts became estranged. Couldn't feel it anymore. Something happened. We felt the change in our hearts. Like, how did this just happen? You know, subhanAllah, the, 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 most difficult, <clears throat> the most difficult burials and the most difficult washings that you will do in life are the ones of people that you knew. I, I can't even imagine, begin to imagine what it was like for Anas to be there in the grave with the Prophet and to bury the Messenger Anas said that Fatima approached him said, how could you put soil on my father's face? How could you put a turab? How could you put soil on the face of the Messenger How did you bring yourself to do that? Like a daughter that is frustrated with the situation, hurt, in pain, like, yeah, Anas, how did you do that? How did you bring yourself to do that? And Anas was saying, the hearts, like, we had to deny our hearts. We had to give our hearts no participation in this moment. <clears throat> with the Prophet and Anas anhu says, Fatima looked at me anha, and she, she started to cry and she, she left. Now, SubhanAllah, none of us can, would be able to capture that moment of Anas anhu, and how he's going to proceed after this. But Anas anhu, would be given a gift in that moment after burying the Prophet that very few people, in fact, no one in history, would be given to the extent that he was given. Anas is the one who narrates, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that the Prophet said, Man ra'ani fil manam, faqad ra'ani. Whoever sees me in a dream, then they have seen me. 
that to see the Messenger of Allah in a dream is to actually see him because the shaitan cannot take his form. And subhanAllah, you live your life hoping for one of those dreams. Like, let me see him one time, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Let me see him two times. And those that have the blessing of seeing the Prophet sallallahu they hold that moment so precious, they never forget that dream. And they remember it so vividly, and that's one of the signs of a ru'ya sadiqa, a true dream, that you saw him sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and you hold on to that, and you keep that for your entire life. Anas would live for over 80 years after the death of the Prophet Over 80 years. <clears throat> and Al-Muthanna ibn Sa'id, rahimahullah, he says, Sami'tu Anas yaqul, Wallahi ma min laylatin illa wa ana ara fiha habibi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I swear that there is not a night that goes by except that I see my beloved one sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa hu yaqulu thalik wa tadma'u aynahu. And as he'd be narrating that, he would start to cry radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu would see the Prophet in his dream every single night for over 80 years. What a gift. What a gift. Imagine what he would look forward to. I mean, subhanAllah, if I'm Anas radiallahu anhu, I look forward to the nights more than I do the day. At that point, life is going to sleep at night <clears throat> and seeing the Prophet and wishing to be with him again What a gift. Over 80 years, every single night, I see my, my beloved one For 10 years, every day, I saw him at his door. For 80 plus years, every night, I saw him in my dreams. <clears throat> because you can't find that type of a narration about any other companion to that extent, you have to ask yourself what did Allah put in his heart and what did Allah put in his fortune to make him that person عنه, to see the Prophet and how much did he long for the hereafter to be with the Messenger <clears throat> as the Prophet had promised him that he would be with him. After the Prophet passes away, he goes on to narrate over 2,000 hadith from the Prophet Many narrations that are only from him عنه, because they're, they're incidents that only Anas witnessed in the proximity that he had to the Prophet He narrates from his closest Family members, he himself is like a close family member. He narrates from Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Usaid, many of the close companions of the Prophet. And he becomes a bridge of sorts to the next generation, similar to Aisha and giving us that look at the Prophet that only he would have. After the Prophet passes away, he fights in the Hurub uh, al-Ridda, the apostasy wars under Abu Bakr. Uh, he is entrusted as a zakah collector under Abu Bakr and Umar. And other than that, he really does not want to get involved in any of the trials and tribulations or the politics that would start to come afterwards. Anas's joy is talking about the Prophet What's your life's purpose, your life's mission? He's going to spend the next eight decades reliving one decade. 
over and over and over and over again, <clears throat> telling people about what he saw from the Prophet So when fitan, when trials and tribulations break out, Anas anhu retires to al-Basra in Iraq. And Anas anhu in al-Basra, he you know, takes up small business, he sells some crops, and Allah keeps on blessing him with wealth and crops and children and grandchildren and his descendants are growing. And Anas takes up a position in Basra, sitting in the masjid every single day, teaching people about the Prophet And there is not a single one of the Imams of the Tabi'een, of the next generation, except that they narrated from Anas and they sat with him in that halaqa in Basra, listening to him. Al-Imam Hassan al-Basri, Hassan al-Basri. Ibn Sirin, Imam al-Zuhri, some of the greatest Imams of that next generation, all of them, their fondest memories sitting in the masjid, listening to Anas talk to you about the Prophet as if you're looking at him, as if you could see him through the eyes of Anas who was seeing him on a nightly basis in his dream. So over 150 of the Tabi'een, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz ta'ala, was a student of Anas ibn Malik anhu. In fact, many people were tabi'een just because of Anas, because to be a tabi'i, to be from that next generation, you have to have met a sahabi, you have to have met a companion. And for a huge number of them, the only companion they ever met was Anas ibn Malik anhu. So many of them even get included in that category of tabi'een, of being the second generation of Muslims, just because they met Anas ibn Malik anhu, and they sat in his halaqas. Now Anas anhu, and this is one of the sad things, of course, we, we talked about this in the khutbah when we talk about Uthman anhu as well. Anas anhu would be tested. Even the most beloved people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are tested. And when Abdullah ibn Zubayr took up his leadership position in Mecca and Medina, and sought to take a strong position against the corruption that was coming out of the Khilafah by that time, the Umayyad Khilafah at that time, Anas who took the side clearly of Abdullah ibn Zubair, took the side of Ali anhu, then he took the side of Abdullah ibn Zubair anhu later on, not in a strong military fashion, he never participated, but he moved to Al-Hijaz, he moved to Mecca and Medina, where Anas would be under the leadership of Abdullah ibn Zubair. So basically later on, I mean you're talking about after most of the Sahaba have passed away, Anas was witnessing wars between people that never got to live with the Prophet or meet the Prophet and all types of political corruption that unfortunately takes place later. And so he goes and he lives under Abdullah ibn Zubair rule. And while he's in Mecca, you have what's known as Waqatul Harra, which was the massacres of Medina under Yazid ibn Muawiyah. Waqatul Harra, if you read about it, the, the way this, the Dhahabi wrote about it, he started with the ayah, the way of the pharaohs. They kill your children and the, you know, they uh, embarrass, they humiliate uh, the, the women amongst them. Waqatul Harra was a tragic moment where you had a tyrant enter in to Al-Madinah, 
ironically, whose name was Muslim ibn Uqba, and they used to call him Musrif or Mujrim, the criminal ibn Uqba, instead of Muslim. And for three days, he massacred multiple people in Al-Madinah. He killed over 800 of the companions of the Prophet Over 800 Sahaba were killed. Anas anhu, many of his offspring were murdered in that tyranny that took place. And he told them for three days, he told his troops, do whatever you want to the people of Medina. SubhanAllah, can you imagine the sin of that person? Do what you want to the people of Medina. And it was a massive fitna, and you can imagine what these troops did. They did similar to what the Crusaders would do later on, and similar to what other armies that are not accountable to anyone start to do, unfortunately. And Anas anhu narrates that over a hundred of his descendants were killed in that day. Then Mecca. Anas anhu was in Mecca. And Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, Al-Hajjaj being the tyrant of the companions who would kill Abdullah ibn Zubair, kill Abdullah ibn Umar, was a ruthless military general, firebombs Mecca, kills Abdullah ibn Zubair anhu and even crucifies ibn Zubair anhu taunts many of the companions of the Prophet And Anas anhu is witnessing all of these fitan and Anas anhu is heartbroken to see how people can become, how can you be children of the Prophet or be people who claim to be from his ummah and then start acting this way, right? But the Prophet said that you go back to fighting over gold and silver the way that tyrants and politics unfortunately corrupts people in this way. And Anas anhu returns to it, Iraq. Now, what I'm going to mention is a very disturbing thing that happened with Anas anhu, but I'm going to say it because it shows you when you talk about prophets of Allah being tested, Musa alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam, the humiliation and the hardships that they went through and realizing it's not that they are not beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes even the most righteous of people are tested in this way. Imagine Anas anhu, as noble as he is, and he was summoned by Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf in Al-Iraq to be publicly humiliated because he sided with Ali and then Ibn Zubair in these, uh, in these conflicts. So Hajjaj summons him in Iraq and he says, Ihin, Ihin ya Unais, come here little Unais. SubhanAllah, the Prophet called him Unais to elevate him. And he's calling him Unais to humiliate him. Hajjaj being a small person, right? A tyrant, a young man, but a very arrogant man, arrogant military general who wants to make an example out of this person who is so noble and beloved to the Prophet and Anas at this point in his life being in his 80s. And he says, A day that you, one day you were on the side of Ali, then on the next day you were on the side of Ibn Zubair. Then on the next day, you're on the side of Abdurrahman ibn Ash'ath, who led one rebellion and was killed by the tyrant. And he says to him, Wallahi, I'm going to crush you and humiliate you and put you in your place. The summary of which, I'm going to humiliate you and put you in your place. By the way, this is a heartbreaking incident, but there is much to learn from it. That corruption can overtake a people, subhanAllah, to where they would dishonor someone of this stature. And Anas says, me? You're talking about me? You're going to do this to me? And he said, yes, I'm going to do it to you. And Anas says, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Simply responds with, to Allah we belong and to Allah we return. Hajjaj puts a sign on him that says, atiq al-hajjaj. Spared by al-hajjaj. Until I deal with you, wear this sign out of humiliation. And people are watching this and they're disgusted. 
that this is a treatment of the servant of the Prophet ﷺ, this beautiful companion of the Prophet ﷺ, and Anas and this is a very great, this is a great wisdom in this. They said, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you curse? Why didn't you throw something at him? Why didn't you call for people to throw something at him? Why didn't you make this a big deal? And he said, Wallahi, I could have said a word that would have ended him. But he didn't do so. He said, I held back out of fear of what that would unleash in terms of the consequences. You see, good people will follow in this sunnah of Cain and Abel, where the Prophet said, never become the oppressor, never become the murderer. If you extend your hand to kill me, then I will not extend my hand to kill you. I'm not going to reduce myself to what you are. And one narration, Anas is talking about his own family, he's talking about what's left of his descendants, of Al-Hajjaj could do this to companions of the Prophet and have no regard even for the Kaaba, right, and Mecca, and just the sanctity of those companions and do this to them, then what's he going to do to me and what's he going to do to the people? So Anas said, I could have said something to him in the public arena in that moment that would have started a battle right then and there, but he did not want people to start shedding blood as a result of him. Take a step back. When Uthman anhu, when he was being oppressed by these little people that didn't know who he was, and Uthman anhu said, I don't want blood being spilled in the name of Uthman. These are people who lived for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not for themselves. I don't, want, I don't want this to start happening out of Anas, because my ego was bruised or because of the mistreatment towards me. Then he goes home. And Anas writes a letter to Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, who was the Khalifa at the time. Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, one of his greatest flaws was that he had a military general named Al Hajjaj, who he would frequently denounce because of his tyranny. But at the end of the day, you put him in that position. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was very upset about that with him, with him as well. Anas wrote a letter to Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, and he said to him, I want you to know what happened, that this publicly happened, that your general summoned me and said this and this and this to me and treated me in this way. And basically, is this the legacy that you want to have? Is this really what you want to leave behind? Is this how you want to go down in history as having treated someone who served the Prophet for all of these years? So he just wrote him a letter, not asking for any particular action, but look, this is your little pharaoh who's going around and who's doing these things to people. And this is what he did to me. So Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, he got this letter and he wrote two letters and he told the messenger, he said, go to Anas first and go to uh, Hajjaj second. Give Anas this letter and then give Hajjaj that letter. So the letter to Anas said, Ya Aba Hamza laqad katabtu ila al-Hajjaj al-Mil'oon. He said, I have written a letter to the cursed al-Hajjaj and when he reads it, he's going to come to you and apologize. Then he sends another letter to al-Hajjaj. And this is what he says to al-Hajjaj. It's, it's a long letter, by the way, that Abdul Malik ibn Marwan wrote to him. The first half of it is just cursing Al-Hajjaj, basically. I'm not even going to read the whole letter. But it starts off with, لَعَنَكَ اللَّهُ عَبْدًا أَخْفَشَ الْعَيْنَيْنَ مَنْقُوسَ الْجَاعِرَتَيْنَ I mean, it curses him. And just puts him, you know, it, all sorts of stuff that's not worth me talking about here. But I want you to listen to what he said about Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He says, وَاللَّهِ لَوْ أَنَّ الْيَهُودَ وَالنَّصَارَ رَأَتْ رَجُلًا خَدَمَ عُزَيْرِ وَعِيسَ بْنَ مَرْيَمُ he said to him, imagine if the Jews found 
someone who served Uzair, or the Christians found a man who served Jesus, the son of Mary, how would they treat a disciple of Christ? How would they treat a companion of Uzair? These are not even Muslims. How would they treat these, these people? And he said, This is Anas ibn Malik, the servant of the Prophet The Prophet would share secrets with him and consult him in his affairs. And he's what's left of the companions of the Prophet with us. So basically he threatens him with death. He says, listen, once you get this letter from me, go to him, apologize, put yourself, I mean, lower yourself even to where you're beneath the man's shoe. Tell him you're sorry for what you did to him and undo this damage that you've done treating this man this way. And he said, if not, then basically the next letter that comes to you is going to be an arrow with your death. So Hajjaj, being the tyrant that he is, he goes to Anas and he apologizes to him in a very insincere way. He says, I'm going to leave you alone because Abdul Malik said so. But you should still be grateful. And he says, and by the way, I just did that. This is the, the mind of a tyrant. We talked about the insecurity of a tyrant. He said, I did so because if the people saw me putting... Anas ibn Malik in his place, then no one else would dare challenge my authority. Right? So you see the mindset of, of, of Al-Hajjaj, which is really a low mindset to treat Anas ibn Malik anhu that way because he says that would put the other people in their place. Anas anhu, he moves on from Al-Hajjaj, he goes back to the masjid, goes back to teaching the people about the Prophet he returns to Iraq and he lives the rest of his life once again teaching people about the Prophet still challenging the tyranny with the voice that he has, but living his life and teaching about the Prophet So when you talk about people that were tested, noble people that lived their lives afterwards and are tested, this is a man who had the best of that, companionship with the Prophet but then a tyrant uh, also tested him and he had a difficult moment, a difficult trial as well. He lived a long life as we said. He had many children, many grandchildren. Allah blessed him with much barakah, with much blessing in his wealth. Uh, they said that Anas anhu could lift a stone and he would find gold. Everything that he ever was given was blessed. And subhanAllah, from the dua of the Prophet they said he had the only gardens that would harvest twice a year. It didn't make sense. His gardens would harvest twice a year. No one else's garden would ha harvest twice a year. Anas anhu, it's not like he was in the marketplace doing all types of stuff. He just had a few gardens and they kept on producing and producing and producing and harvesting and harvesting and harvesting. And he couldn't even keep up. And at some point, they said that, you know, Anas became neglectful as well of his gardens. He even stopped going and putting water, watering his trees and stuff. Because he just kept on producing. Remember the Prophet said, Barak lahu fi malihi wa waladihi, bless him in his wealth, bless him in his children. Keeps on producing, producing. Thabit al Bunani, rahimahullah, he said, and I witnessed this from Anas, I came to him in the masjid one day. Thabit was a tabi'i, was one of the great tabi'in. And I said to him, your crops need water. You haven't watered your trees for a very long time. Your crops need water. He said, Anas walked out of the masjid, lifted his hands to the sky. He made dua. And he said, the clouds went right over his gardens and started to rain on his gardens and the crops started to produce again. 
went back to the masjid and started, kept, you know, just resumed his teaching. SubhanAllah. This was the amount of barakah, the amount of blessing that he had. He lived, as we said, to be over 100 years old, hundreds of children, grandchildren, SubhanAllah, 2,000 ahadith. Some of the asaneed, some of the chains of Anas, there's no one else like this, by the way, will have five descendants of Anas narrating. So you're going one by one, five descendants of Anas narrating, the child narrating from the parent, from the parent, from the parent, from the parent, from Anas And of course, this was his blessing that he left behind with us being the last of the major companions to pass away. There was no known companion. There were some companions, one or two that may have passed away after him, but he was the last major Sahabi to pass away. And here's how he used to identify himself. He says, I'm the last person that prayed to both Qiblas amongst you. That's how, out of all the ways he identifies himself, I am the last person who prayed towards Jerusalem that still lives amongst you because the Muslims, of course, in Medina, an Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Anas narrates that the Muslims prayed towards Jerusalem for 16 or 17 months until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned the Qibla towards Mecca. He said, I am the last person that resides amongst you that had the blessing of praying towards both Qiblas. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala liberate them. Allahumma ameen. Give us Al-Aqsa once again to pray in it as well. Allahumma ameen. So he passes away at the age of either 103 or 107. And SubhanAllah, his janazah. <laughs> you have so many people that come out from around the world to pray in his janazah. The last Sahabi, major companion, the servant of the Prophet and they're coming from all over to pray his janazah. <clears throat> and Imam ibn Sirin rahimahullah ta'ala, he led his salah. And Anas anhu, as we said, used to see the Prophet every single night. Anas had one last request, his final request anhu. He used to keep what he had of the belongings of the Prophet So he had a little stick, he had some hair from the Messenger he had a little cloth from the Prophet He kept it in his home. And Anas anhu asked, he said, when I pass away, I want you to bury me with the belongings of the Prophet So Ibn Sirin rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that when Anas passed away, we put in his kafan the stick of the Prophet so it was directly on his body under his kafan, subhanAllah. And the hair of the Prophet on the top and whatever belongings were placed with him in his grave, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And that was of the largest janazas that they had ever seen of the people praying upon him, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. May Allah be pleased with him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to see him and to see our companions and our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the highest level of firdaus al-a'la. May Allah gift us with the vision of the Prophet sallallahu in this life, with the ability to follow his guidance in this life, and with the vision of the Prophet sallallahu in the next, and his companionship in the next. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow, allow us to drink from his hand sallallahu alayhi wasallam and to see him every single day in paradise with the prophets and the righteous ones and to gaze up at the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala amongst those that he is most pleased with. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullah khayran. Inshallah ta'ala, I'll take a few questions. Start with the sisters. Or the brothers. Bismillah. Tadal.
multiple children of his became scholars, multiple grandchildren became notable ulama. Uh, if you read in the Isab of Ibn Hajar and Tabaqat Ibn Sa'd, you'll find the, the ranks and how it broadens uh, with every single generation of children and grandchildren that became scholars from Anas radiallahu ta'ala. Thank you. Yeah. Um, my question was that how does one fix their personalities to, or enhance their personalities to match the Prophet or Anas because you know what I think is, you know the Prophet was purified at a young age, and then he was also shown the Hellfire and Jannah. So someone like that would definitely be more calm and more uh, peaceful. Whereas their Sahaba that has spent time with them also has that influence. But us, we have like influence of Instagram and TikTok, and we don't have that kind of pure you know, relationship, and it's really hard to establish that in this day and age. How does one enhance their personalities to that level? So how do you, how do you uh, allow yourself to, you know, connect to the Prophet Sallallahu and to establish your character? One of the things that we learn from these companions is, number one, we can't be like them, but we can try. And they couldn't be like the Prophet Sallallahu but they could try. And jihadun nafs is that journey, that striving against the soul to become more like that. And the more difficult some of those qualities come to you, like someone who's got a hot temper that's reading those narrations about Anas and the Prophet is going, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I mean, every parent who yelled at their kids today, you know, my kids are here, so I don't, I'm like afraid. All right, every parent who ever yelled at their kids, you know, like any, it's like, man, I wish I could be like the Prophet Every, Everyone who reads these ahadith wishes and wishes and wishes and wishes. So first and foremost, wanting that is an intention. Secondly, trying to live that is the next part of that. And so following the prescriptions then that we find from the books of Tazkiyah, uh, to try to do so inshallah ta'ala, uh, is definitely uh, part of that and you know developing a love for the Prophet Sallallahu is reading about the Prophet Sallallahu and then trying to bring the Prophet Sallallahu into your life and that's also a lifelong journey Allah knows best yeah yeah is it possible to see the Prophet Sallallahu in a dream and how uh, it's a gift that Allah gives to some people. Um, the Prophet said that whoever sees me in a dream, then has, they have seen me. And uh, if you see the Messenger وسلم, in the way that he's been described, then you've seen him. So if someone could show up in your dream and like not look like the Prophet Shama'al at all, say, I'm Muhammad وسلم, and that doesn't mean anything. But if they match the description of the Prophet وسلم, then you've seen the Prophet um, it's important to say that it is not the indicator of a person's righteousness or lack thereof of whether or not they've seen the Prophet in a dream. It may be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds that from, it's a gift. 
It may be that Allah holds that from a person for some time so that they could long more for it. And Allah rewards them with it sometime at the end of their life. It, or Allah holds it back so they don't become too confident. Because what if someone sees the Prophet and says, I'm good now, I saw the Prophet Like, you know, I must be good. I must be a follower of the Sunnah. I must be going to the Firdaus of A'la. So Allah in His wisdom gives and withholds that gift from certain people. Uh, but you certainly can ask for it and make dua for it. And certainly of the ways is to bring him into your life وسلم, with practice and to increase in salawat on the Prophet وسلم, as much as you can. Zakallah. Can you repeat it on the microphone? I'm sorry. Um, as one of the helpers of the Prophet وسلم, what were some of the other tasks that he would do for him? What were some of the other tasks that he would give to Anas? You know, when Umm Sulaim said, serve, take him to serve you, that, the Prophet ﷺ was honoring her request. But you actually don't find like a narration of like, Anas, go make dinner. And like Anas and talking about like a two-hour dinner for all of these sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ, or doing anything that's really hard in terms of a task. Uh, he would go with the Prophet ﷺ. He would maybe go get the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ. He might carry his belongings. He might, you know, try his best. But at the end of the day, the Prophet ﷺ is described as being fi khidmati ahlihi. He would serve the people of his household. So it's hard because he used to ﷺ, do his own stuff. And so you don't really get that element from these narrations of anything that was uh, really trying or tasking uh, with the Prophet ﷺ in that regard. Zakmullah khayran. It's 1014. Uh, I want to uh, I, I shout out, mashallah, we got a lot of people that are taller than me in the masjid today. Where's our Canadian ball team? Where y'all at? Did they leave? Hold on, can you guys come, come here? Like, I, I want people to, I, I want to humble myself for a moment, inshallah ta'ala. Then Uday, you mind coming up, Uday? I need you to be my offensive lineman. So Uday, I'm going to need, I'm going to need like some, uh, we're going we're gonna to enact the game here right quick, right? So what, what team are y'all with? What's the name of the team? Mississippi? Yeah, Missouri. Missouri, mashallah. So this is a Canadian. There's nothing Canadian here. And Uday, of course, offensive lineman, mashallah. So if you all ever wanted me to look small, alhamdulillah. <laughs> this is a very humbling experience for me today. No one ever meet me and say you're very tall. But we want to, see, we want to say, mashallah, welcome to our brothers the uh, from the... Where's the coach? Come on up, coach, mashallah. No, coach makes me feel better, alhamdulillah. Hey. Yeah. MashaAllah, but we're very happy to have our brothers, MashaAllah. What are your names? Umar. Umar. Tariq. Tariq. Ayyub. Uday. MashaAllah. So we welcome them to our community, MashaAllah, as well. Zakmallah khayran. So don't feel bad when you meet me anymore. Be like, you're too tall. I'm not very tall, as you can see, alhamdulillah. Welcome to the, welcome to the community, brothers. Inshallah ta'ala, uh, we, we, we ask Allah to bless you all in your, with success in this dunya and in the akhirah. Allahumma ameen. Coach, you got to get some height on you, man. But may Allah bless you, bless you, and bless, bless the team. Zakhnallah khayran, everyone. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.